Welcome to the Legacy Pod. In episode 14, I spoke to Ailey Barber, one of the most recognisable faces in British sports broadcasting right now. Ailey is Sky Sports host of Scottish Football, and alongside the likes of Gary Lineker, Gabby Logan and Rio Ferdinand, as part of the BBC team covering this summer's European Championships. From making cups of tea on local radio, to presenting some of the biggest sports events on the planet, Ailey proves hard work pays off. She also talked about the challenge women face in the media and the criticism that comes with being a female who has an opinion on football. And for the dinosaurs out there who still think that's not possible, you'll soon realise professionals like Ailey know more about sport than most. Ailey Barber, thank you so much for joining me on the Legacy Pod. Thank you for having me. Um, let's just dive straight in. Uh, I think your career trajectory and pathway is something that um, I think anyone who's familiar with will be impressed and interested in. Did you always have a passion and an ambition to get involved in the media? Yeah, well, I always had a passion for sports and I always knew I wanted to do something in sport. When I was young, I didn't really know what that would be. Um, and then... When I was around 12, 13 years old, I was sitting on a Saturday afternoon as we did every Saturday afternoon watching Grandstand before heading off to the football and Hazel Irvin presented for the first time. And that was the kind of moment where there was something that I could see as being something that I could do. Um, A female, not only a female, but a Scottish female on national TV, the biggest sports program there was really that match of the day um, presenting and um, hosting alongside I can't remember if it was Des Lyon or Steve Ryder she was hosting alongside that day but I just remember it was something that I couldn't see any differences between me and her yeah in terms of you know female Scottish that kind of thing and I just thought that's that's the one that's what I want to do so yeah start from then amazing to have that that visceral moment that sort of light bulb okay this is what I want to do and I, and I want to go for it how did you go for it what was your uh, what was your next steps even at that young age and um, I wrote to Hazel for a start when I was about 14 and um, and she wrote back with advice that you would give anyone you know get yeah. get involved meet people you know have a passion and and know what it is that that like what area you want to get into I didn't know what area I wanted to get into football's a sport that I've grown up playing, watching, um, talking about, but I loved kind of all sport and I didn't know whether I wanted to be, I didn't, I didn't ever have ambition to be in front of a camera. I just knew I wanted to be in the industry and I wanted to bring sport to people. Um, so I was quite lucky. I grew up in a small village, but in that village was um, a guy called Andy Gillis, who was, um, one of the senior reporters for Radio 5 Live. And he was amazing. He took me to games. He took me to press conferences. He gave me my first work experience, official work experience role at the at the Open and Troon when I was still at uni. And through him, I met John Beattie, who was working at BBC Scotland, still does, but he, he produced a lot of sports programmes for the radio. And he gave me my first paid job as a runner. And it kind of went from there. I realised pretty early that 
you had to do a lot for free back then. You had to give up your time and do the kind of hard yards that yeah. are now paid, which is great for anybody trying to get into the industry. They can't just bring you in and make you do all yeah. work for nothing. <laughs> back then you did, and it was quite difficult. I'd finished uni and I'd gone to live in Edinburgh and it was ridiculously expensive place to go and live straight off the back of uni. So I was working five, six days at, at Scottish Widows replying to people's pension claims. Okay. And I couldn't afford to take the number of days off I needed to take off to do the work experience. So I went abroad for a year and taught English in South Korea and made a little war chest to come home, not have to work for six months and give myself that six months to just yeah. annoy anyone and everyone within the industry. And eventually got, got an opportunity at, at STV, logging matches, cutting highlights for Scott Sport for the, the football highlights at the weekend and kind of from there it's just been always about the next yeah. place and meeting people and speaking to people and then I turned I ended up going down to work in London for a while um, as a kind of jack of all trades you, they, it was on golf they'd send you out to a golf tournament with a camera a laptop and you would record interview edit and send back they wanted about three different four to five minute pieces from each event and it was you were on your own with all your kit it was not the job for me but it was where I realized which part of the process I liked the most and it was the speaking to people so I came back from there and turned freelance and came back to Scotland and um yeah again started hounding people (laughs) until I got opportunities the, the the sort of unglamorous side of it that, that you mentioned there, the bits that you didn't necessarily like, I mean, you could have enjoyed any part of it, but those are the elements. I think people will probably look at, um, you know, operators like yourself now at the highest level and assume that it's a straight shot in there, but they don't see the hard yards behind the scenes, do they? No, and, you know, all of it I look back on and it all helped because... I think it's important to have an understanding of the industry as as a whole, the process as a whole. I mean, I am terrible when it comes to technology, but I understand what it takes now to to film to film something, to put something together, to make telly kind of work. Yeah. In, um, and that is very beneficial, I think. Um, but it was also important to find to find the route I wanted to pursue because there are so many different jobs behind putting a game of football on the telly or maybe and um and I think there a lot of people think TV, you know, it's not glamorous, it's not it's you know, you're outside for hours on end, you're cold, it's um there's a lot of waiting around, there's a lot of, you know, your days are long, particularly when you work on some events, your days can be really long, they can be relentless, there's a lot of travel. There's a lot of the side of it that I think people don't see. Yeah. You have to have a passion for it. You have to love it because it's not always the most comfortable job in the world. And then nowadays, particularly, you know, if you're in front of camera or you're you're giving opinions or whatever it might be, you've got the social media side of things as well now. So, you know, you have to love it. Um, And I'm just very lucky that I do absolutely love it. Um, And I wouldn't change it at all. The social media stuff is something that really interests me and I'll get your take on that in a second. But when when you go back to when you were that 
uh, that young girl that saw Haley Irvin, did you feel that there was anything that stood in your way? Did you ever encounter any barriers that made you think, oh, this is going to be too hard? Do you know, it's weird. Um, I'm not somebody who, you know, it's taken me a very, very long time to be able to say, no, I'm actually quite good at my job. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's like, you know, I would never admit that. But when I was 13, 14, I was sitting there, I was thinking, well, there was, I mean, there was no plan B. <laughs> it was yeah. like, I didn't even, it didn't even cross my mind at that stage that it wouldn't happen. And then it's more when you get into the reality of, I think the hardest part was when I went freelance and you have no certainty in anything. You know, it could have all completely crumbled and it ended up nothing yeah. at that point. That was the most difficult time. Um, I think as well because, you know, you've got bills to pay, you've got responsibilities now, you know, you you have, you can't just not have a job. Yeah. And essentially I didn't have a job for quite a long time. So um, that was the hardest thing to persevere with. And there were so many times there I thought, this is, this, what am I doing? I need to go on. I did actually, I got a job in a cafe and as a waitress because I was thinking I, I need, I can't have nothing. Yeah, and this might in the bank. Yeah, so, and it was it was funny, I, I think I was there about three or four weeks before I got given an opportunity, again at STV through in Edinburgh, um, they were looking for somebody to anchor the sports desk for, I think it was to cover some sick leave for three or four months, so, you know, an opportunity just sort of, sort of came up, yeah. and because I'd done all the hard yards of the phone calls and the emails, your name becomes sort of on a list, I guess, and and yeah, I had to tell the people in the cafe that was coming a few weeks after I'd started. But but, but that must have been a quite a nice uh, resignation letter to hand in. Yeah, sorry, I'm off to go work in TV, see you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the other thing as well. We've all been there in terms of the work experience and leaning on other people. And you don't really get, you need people to sort of not take a shine to you, but you need people to understand that you're going to put those hard yards in if... Because I think there's always people in the media and journalism and broadcasting that are happy to help young the next generation. But if they show that willingness to sort of get stuck in and show that it's something that they do have a passion for. Yeah, absolutely. And it's the one thing I say to anyone when they ask for advice is when you do get an opportunity, whether it's work experience, whether it's as a runner, whether whatever it might be, and um, whether it's just having a somebody come and doing a lecture, guest lecture at, at yeah. the university, whatever it might be, if you have that opportunity to make a to make an impression, to make an impact, take it. Don't don't sit and say nothing. Yeah. You know, you you you're you're constantly swimming against a tide of a million different people wanting these same jobs. It's such a it's way more difficult now than when I was sort of 21, 22. Yeah. It's so much harder now and you have to stand out you have to be remembered for something whether it's your passion for it whether it's your knowledge whether whatever it might be you, that's the biggest thing now is you've got to make an impression straight away you can't sit and blend into the background and and let's be frank about it back it's got much better now but back when you were coming up through the ranks I think it would be amazing to have your perspective because I've only got my perspective but Certainly in the the Scottish sports journalism scene, it all seemed like a fairly a level playing field is the wrong phrase to use, but there was always faces around of 
women in the industry, not as many as there probably should have been, but it never seemed as if there were necessarily huge amount of barriers. Maybe that's me speaking from someone that was at the same age of, you know, we're, we're in a similar generation, but did you feel as if it was those barriers existed in terms of being a female trying to crack it and what has always been perceived as a man's world? I think I was the next generation. I think the a lot of the barriers had been broken and had been broken by very, very good people. Yeah. People like Angel and Gabby Logan, Jackie Oatley, people who went on to do so many different things and be so respected in their field that um, it did help. It definitely helped. And I was never, I, I don't ever remember being the only female in a press room. Yeah. I started, like you say, there were always there were also always other girls around. And I think there are, I think it depends on what role you do. I think there are, I think it's very easy to throw the whole female thing at you when you're when you're giving an opinion. I think that's the one thing that hasn't been broken down as much yet. I think when you yeah. look at female pundits, whether it's you know, down south, you've got Alex Scott and Karen Carney, Rachel Brown Finnis. Um, I think when they give opinions on the way that teams are playing or an individual is playing, I think that's the one that still gets jumped on the most. Yeah. Because that's the one I think that that men are still more uncomfortable with than I think they're comfortable with a female presenting and asking the male pundits to give their opinions. But I yeah. think that's still the one I think that needs to sort of be still slightly broken. Um, and that's, I mean, the girls that do it down south and you've got Shelley Kerr in Scotland, yeah. you know, that's the hardest job. I think the hardest job. That and speaking to a losing manager after a game. Those are the two hardest jobs. <laughs> well, I only know about one of those. So, but <laughs> how, how do you actually... Is it just time that it changes that? Is it more presence? And and the ironic thing is the, where the criticism comes from is probably from guys who play in Sunday leagues, whereas you've got females, women who have played professionally, but it's their opinion isn't necessarily respected, even though they've they've done it at the highest level. How do you change that? I don't I don't know if you can ever change it. And you know, I think there's always going to be there's always going to be men that don't like women in football and I don't think you can ever change that it's not I mean there are so many things in the world that you're all, you're never going to be able to to change opinions on yeah. um, and to change the way that people are treated regardless whatever it might be um, but I think the support network around female pundits and, and females in the industry is much stronger now um, than it was Certainly, I think you can look at a lot. I think there's a, a huge acceptance. I've always felt massively accepted by yeah. my peers, people I work with. So I don't feel like, you know, I feel like if they accept me and respect me for my role, then then I must be doing something right. Yeah. And you're never going to please everyone who's watching at home. You know, it's just not, it's not going to happen. You yeah. can be whoever you might be. I don't think there's a single presenter or pundit or commentator or co-commentator out there that everyone loves yeah so the nature i think of it 
And I guess in that situation, all you can do is focus on the positives and you are a very positive, outgoing person. And the impact that you had when you were watching Hazel and when you're growing up, do you feel or have you had any interactions of, you know, the, the opposite now? You've got young aspiring journalists, broadcasters reaching out to you who have seen you doing the same sort of thing that they would love to do. Yeah, you get messages, um, which is really nice. It's, you know, to think it's that kind of old expression, you can't, you don't want to be what you can't see. So to be seen out there and to inspire other girls to do the same job is, yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's amazing. And, you know, like I said before, I always try and give advice when I can. It's hard. It's a really, really hard industry to get into now. And it, there's no right or wrong way of doing it. And a lot of it just comes down to, to meeting people and trying. And I think, like you say, like we live in quite an impatient world now. And yeah. everybody does things straight away. And you, you can't. You can't get straight away. There's not like, I want to be a reporter, so I'll do this. You quite often have to do maybe five or six other jobs before you even yep. get an opportunity to ask a question in a press conference. Um, so it is, it is hard and you have to be willing and open to, to doing pretty much anything. I think that's where people who really want to do it get to the point. I think that... I think if you have that real burning desire and passion, you will do anything to get to where you want to be. You'll do any job. You'll yep. make cups of tea. You'll you know sit and edit sweets until two in the morning, and you'll do all that to get an opportunity of to go where you want to go. And I think that kind of maybe sort of disperses a lot of the field quite early on when you're in that situation and you won't be able to put your finger on it but when you were doing the stuff that maybe other people weren't doing did you always know that it was going to pay off did you have a feeling that this will be worth it because there's no guarantees no one's going to throw a contract to you know be the main presenter on sky or you know cover the golf but did you always have an instinct that you're on the right path i think just to be part of it i knew that i was because like I said at the beginning, I didn't really have an idea. I didn't really have a path. I just yeah. wanted to be part of it. And so even sitting in like sitting in an edit suite in in Glasgow looking at the Clyde, but sitting cutting highlights of Dungeon United against Motherwell, you know, I mean, that for me was magic. You yeah. know, that was in the door. That was um that was me working in the industry I wanted to work in and going to games on a Saturday afternoon. I mean, I was the least senior, I was the lowest, so I got the the considered worst game of the day you know yeah. <laughs> I was the in the game between the sort of ninth and tenth in the league that had no bearing on anything so yeah. and it was still incredible to go to these games and you know that was my job to go to football matches so if I'd never ended up doing the route I had have ended up doing if I was if I was working in in the tv trucks in a compound if I was working in an edit suite somewhere, you know, I would still be working in the industry and in the field that, that I love. So as much as I then, as much as I kind of ended up going down the road to be in front of camera, it was never my ultimate aim. Um, but it is probably, it's probably the one that I naturally fell into. Um, 
probably because I can talk a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it helps, it really helps. What What was the moment, Ellie, that you thought, okay, this is, not, not that you've made it, but what was the, uh, you know, there's always stages in your career where you look back and you say, okay, I've made it to that level, I've made it onto the next one. What was the first big moment that you felt, okay, everything has been leading up to this point or all of the hard work was worth it? Um, there's been a few, but the one that was the real kind of, like I really had to sort of have a word with myself and say, no, you can do this, yeah. <laughs> was into the, the master's studio for the first time. Um, the first time I went to Augusta, Hazel was still presenting um, and I was there to kind of shadow her and learn from her because that was her last event. Yep. So I came over from then on. Um, but that following year when I walked in and I was like, this is this is my studio now and I'm looking out onto dri- the driving range and the practice area at Augusta National. I mean, it was... That was... I had to... I mean, I had to take a few deep breaths growing in that yeah. day. Um, but also things, you know, when you're sitting in the studio and you're hearing the match of the day theme tune and you're about to go, I mean, I've never done the Saturday night match of the day. I've done FA Cup highlights and I've, I've done, you know, various different things like that. But, you know, just to hear the iconic music and, you know, I'm going to be talking off the back of this iconic theme tune is, yep. yeah, moments like that are pretty cool. Pinch yourself moments. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You, you and Hazel, please tell me that you sort of swapped over the green jacket when you were over there. It must have been that moment. Yeah, I was. Uh, she was like you said before about people being really helpful. I mean, I could not have asked for somebody better to show me the ropes when it came yeah. to that. She was so supportive. I'd like know that I can drop her an email or call her whenever if I if I need to. And yeah, she's been. Um, Amazing. The first time I worked with her was actually at the World Snooker Championships and I was working behind the scenes, um, cutting little bits of uh, feature interviews and stuff. And she was presenting and I, I, I told her that time, I said to her, oh, by the way, I, I wrote to you. <laughs> she went, oh my goodness, I hope I wrote back. <laughs> so, yeah, you're all right. This is where she did. <laughs> for for all of that, I guess what the last twelve months has has taught you, is to all of us, is that it's still fragile. It's the you know the broadcasting industry, uh, COVID or no COVID, it's still a pretty fragile place to be. Yeah, and it, it's really strange. I mean, I look at people who do really important jobs who aren't able to go to work right now. Yeah, um, and I find it it does. I struggle a little bit with the fact that I'm seen as a key worker right now because I go to football matches. I mean, that doesn't really, it just doesn't sit quite right with me. I mean, I'm so glad to still be able to go to work and, you know, I'm so grateful that that football has continued and we are still able to, to go to work, but it's, it's such a strange, you know, it makes you realize that although it's fragile, but it's also, it's not that important. You know, what we do, like, what I do is not that important when there's so many things going on in the world that are really important, um, which has been quite a sort of strange thing to kind of get your head around. Um, and you do, uh, yeah, I mean, it feels strange right now going to work and being and loving it so much and being happy and being... You know, because you know what so many people are going through. It's it's just such a yeah, such a strange 
world right now. I mean, the flip side of that is that people are still looking for an escape. Football fans, sports fans are still looking to turn on the TV and see those familiar faces and, and see their teams play. So while, yeah, you're obviously, you're not comparing yourself to key workers on the front line, but people still need that escape in their life right now more than ever, probably. Yeah, and it shows what sport does and why, for me, sport has been something that I've loved all my life. Um, when things seem to get hard, you know, people turn to sport or music or or theatre or the arts, really. And yeah. we have none of that right now. Um, obviously, music, it's all, it's all radio or TV. We can't go to live concerts or anything. The only thing that we can... The only thing that we can really see on TV right now that is live is, is sports. So it is, it's a huge escape for people. That Those few months when there was nothing on, I sat and watched a Korean league match because it was the first football that came back. I was watching the K-League because I was so there was football back on the telly. Um, yeah, those few months with nothing was yeah. really strange. And it is, I mean, I was having this conversation with someone just just this morning about how there's so much football on the telly right now but I don't feel like I actually know what's happening yeah it's almost like you go for a long drive you're driving home and you get home and you actually can't remember the drive you know you're like for sure it's on it's on every night but like you say people people need something to to watch right now in terms of away from the the sort of day job you must also feel when normal life was here before and it will come back. Um, again, the role that you play, the the job that you do, you must be exposed to different opportunities and um, just coming across different people and uh, walks of life that, that you can maybe use your profile to have an impact, whether it's charity work or the, you know, the after dinner speaking stuff that you spoke about. There's different opportunities there. Yeah, there are. I've just um, been part of Doddy Aid, which was... Yeah. Um, um, activity challenge that ran for five five or six weeks um, which raised over a million pounds for motor neuron disease research and Amazing. helping people who, who have the who have the illness um, all inspired by by Doddy Weir's charity so things like that I, yeah it's great to get involved with things like that I did the Michael Carrick Foundation 5k a day in December and to raise money for his foundation to try yeah. and help kids get into football, underprivileged kids. So, yeah, it's um, it's nice to be able to do those things. And um, it's good. That I, I love doing those challenges anyway. They're good, they're good fun. But to be able to sort of help when you see a million pounds raised for yeah. from these research and um, trying to find a cure for something that is such a hideous, hideous disease, then, you know, it's it's good to be able to help out. And it's clearly not something that you thought of when you get, you know, when you're going for your job. But when these opportunities come up, you can't really pass them by, can you, to be involved in in such great causes? No, absolutely not. And you know, if if it makes diff- a difference to a couple of people, three people, four people, whoever it might, like however many people, I mean, you can find a cure for motor neurons disease, and that's yeah. But um, yeah, it's it's nice to be able to to do these things and even small things. I did a video the other day because the village I grew up in is trying to build a, tried to build a um, multi-use indoor games arena, sports arena type thing in, in the village, which we I never had. I mean, we had nothing when I was yeah. growing up. 
didn't even have floodlights on the tennis courts. Got them now. So, <laughs> you know, we were playing on body hitches and jumpers for goalposts. And, the good old days. Yeah, the good old days. So, yeah, you know, we saw a lot of things like that, didn't it? Yeah, it's good. Are you aware, are you acutely aware of, uh, I don't want to use the word responsibility, but are you aware of the demand and the impact that, that you can have on on these sort of things? I think it's a strange one because I've never really sort of thought about your kind of responsibilities and so much, but I sort of see now, and I think over the last year or so, whether it's a responsibility of speaking out and if there's something to speak out about, um, whether it's to do with charity work or raising awareness or whatever it it might be, I I feel now that it is something I I need to do more. I need to, I never really thought, I never really think of myself as having a platform. Yeah. Um, I mean, I still do all the same stuff I did 10 years ago, you know, but yeah, there, there it is something that I've kind of thought, you know, that it's it is something I could do more of. And particularly when things are, when I see things, there was something recently that a journalist wrote about women's goalkeepers. Yeah, I saw that. it was, for me, it was just so wrong. It yeah. was an attack on women. It wasn't yeah. anything to do with women goalkeepers. And I never would normally speak out about those things. I just, it was, you know, and it's more an education thing as well. I wasn't, I didn't want to like vilify him. I just wanted to say that that, what you've done there is, is actually not acceptable for females to read that. Um, But things like that, you know, if you've got a platform, you've kind of got a voice and you really, you know, you, you probably should try and help educate and create a more inclusive world. It's part of the reason that I find these conversations interesting because people don't realise they've got the platform. People don't realise the impact that they probably leave. And I think it's important to try and, uh, you know, where you can just say, yeah, you are making a difference. Because when you are in that situation, there's no way you're going to, you know, you're not going to take yourself out and and be so self-deprecating that you're going, yeah, I am. I am important. I am making a difference. But people do. Yeah, and it's... It is a weird, it is, it's, it's strange. It is a strange thing to think that you have that because like, like I say, I don't yeah. think I really, I don't, I don't know if you ever do think, oh I, oh, I can make a difference here. I don't know if you yeah. ever actually can say that. I don't know, but certainly for me, I I kind of forget probably that there is an opportunity for me to say things or or do things that can make a difference. And yeah, like I say, it's something that, something I need to look at but try to do more of and um, particularly when things I feel like things are not right like that article that was written and um, where things can be I don't know just yeah I'm aware of the fact that you know you said something that's actually really not helpful to yeah. try to create a world where everybody is accepted equally which is a nice segue to something you mentioned earlier, and that's the world of, of social media, because it can be so easy to, you know, if you took that journalist to task, it's so easy to almost create that, that that pylon that no one wants. But from your point of view, how 
how much do you have to switch off from the noise? Is, is it a challenge in terms of just blocking out? Because it can be a, a real negative place. It can be a real place for good, but specific platforms are not mm-hmm. the healthiest place. How do you deal with that? I've actually been really fortunate. I I have not had to deal touch wood yeah. yet. I say yet because I do feel it's inevitable. I feel the way that social media is as a platform, that will come at some point. Um, but I haven't had to deal with anything as hurtful or as um, damaging as other females I know in the industry have had to deal with. Um, I think in Scotland, if you are not affiliated to the two big teams in Glasgow, it helps. And that in itself is ridiculous because why would I, how would I be different at my job if I supported one of those teams? I wouldn't be. I'd still be the same person. But the fact that I, I'm not connected to Celtic or Rangers in any way certainly helps me in Scotland. And that is, like I say, in itself wrong. But um, yeah, I've not, I, I mean, some of the things colleagues of mine and friends of mine have had to deal with is, it's, it's disgusting. It's absolutely disgusting. And I was listening to a podcast actually um, last week, I think. Um, and it was Simon Thomas and Dan Walker discussing yeah. and they were talking about social media and Dan was saying he that he thinks that there's a disconnect between the people when they're writing on their phone or on their iPad or whatever it might be they can in, the, in their brain and they forget that they're talking to a real human and I thought there was maybe something in that it's too easy you're sitting at a screen like you know, you forget that you're actually maybe talking to somebody on the other end of that tweet and those hurtful words that you post, there is another human being who is reading that and whose partner or kids or parents may be reading that about them. Yeah. And and I like personally I don't think I don't understand how you can write those things in the first place. Um but even if you do f- forget that there's a human being on the end of that tweet like how can it's I struggle to see the or connect with the kind of just the negativity and the hatred that there is with a lot of people on these platforms and and like I say I've been very fortunate I've not yet had to deal with anything to the extremes that I know other people have had to deal with um, and other people who've come out and spoken about their struggles then with their confidence levels, their mental yeah. health, everything that goes with it, because it's it can be if it's constant and relentless, it it will wear you down. It will, um, and I don't know what they do about I don't know what they do the social media platforms do about it because, like you say, social media has a has a place. It has yeah. a part to play. Um, I like the debate. I like the fact it can raise awareness. Um, it can educate, um, so many, it can do so many good things, but that side of it, it needs to somehow be looked at. And I don't even know who would do that. Even without the negative side of it, it must be, is it a challenge for you to sometimes just switch off from it? Because I would imagine that you do have a lot of interaction and a lot of engagement, but you can only engage so much without you know, frying your brain every day. 
Yeah, I'm not very good at engaging on social media, <laughs> I have to say. Right, for one, I, like Twitter is okay. I can handle Twitter. Yeah. Instagram, I don't really know how to work. I don't really know how to reply to people on direct messages on Instagram because they don't go into like your inbox. Yeah. You know, it's like in a separate place and like that separate place, I'll maybe check it like once every three weeks. Yeah. Two or three or something. I'm like, oh, I should go in there and see first. And uh, so probably people think that I'm really rude and I don't mean to be. I just don't know how to market. I'm just not very good at it. But yeah, I mean, I don't really like to get involved in like discussions, you know, I mean, sometimes it's hard to reason with football fans. So if it's that kind of thing, it's like, you know, it's... Yeah, pointless. I'll just, you know, I'll let you shout shout at us for that. Yeah. And usually it's not, you know, shouting at all of us, shouting at the whole company. So, <laughs> in terms of the good, in terms of the good times, Elliot, what's been some of the highlights that you've actually been at the heart of? There's, there's clearly one that's uh, springing to mind in the very yeah. past. Um, but what have been some of the the moments that you're actually working? But it's a phenomenal, phenomenal time to be there. I'm going to guess that you're talking about the 2014 Scottish Cup final. Well, that was that was the first thing on the top of my head. Only because of Chris Millen, he's a good friend. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, twenty fourteen final. Seeing you know, it. I was working, but the memories. I mean, when you're on the pitch and your team's just won the Scottish Cup for the first time ever in their history. Yeah. And and you get to stand there on the pitch and have the tape falling on your head as they yeah. lift the trophy. That's. It's just an angle of that moment that not many people will ever get to experience. And, you know, the guys all running around and, you know, interviewing them and everyone just so happy. And, you know, this is the team that you've grown up watching your whole entire life and not had many good days. So, you know, to get and to be out there and and be speaking to people as part of it. I mean, that's... It probably never happened again. So, did you keep it together yeah. or did you lose it? Um, do you know, I was actually standing down pitch side in the corner um, at Celtic Park when Stephen McLean scored the second goal. And there was not, I mean, I was jumping up and then the security guy was trying to throw me out. I think. <laughs> so I was like, no, sorry. I was like, sorry, you're not, you're not going to get me to stand yeah. still here. <laughs> um, yeah, because that was quite near the end of the game. So they wanted me to be like down on the pitch side when that happened. But um, yeah, um, that was incredible. Um, I remember like silly little things. Like my first Premier League game that I ever got to cover from BBC was Newcastle against Swansea on the final day of the season. It meant nothing. Yeah. But it was my first Premier League game. So that was a real kind of moment for me because I'd gone into final score covering games in Scotland and then maybe the odd game in League One or the Championship and I'd done it for a couple of seasons and it was the same people did the Premier League week after week and then I got an opportunity last day of the season to do to do a Premier League game and yeah that was so that was a big thing for me most people would say Newcastle Swansea what? (laughs) but big deal though but yeah, your first Premier League game was always big, and then obviously all the all the golf events have been incredible. Um, the Winter Olympics was 
the hardest thing I've ever done, but I look back on now um, with such good memories and fingers crossed I'll get to do Beijing in next year. But Hard why just because of the, the demand, the workload, the environment? The environment, it was minus 27 and we had an wow. outdoor studio. So we had a balcony in a hotel room was our studio. So we could sit in the hotel room and then when you went out on air, you had to open all the doors up and stand out in the balcony for the sort of 15 minutes or so that you were, 15 minutes to half an hour that you were on. Um, and it, I mean, that kind of cold. So it can be like a couple of degrees above freezing down to whatever here in Scotland when you're doing games and you get to a point in coldness where you can't really think or speak. Yeah. So minus 27 is quite difficult to, to deal with. But we also had our our gallery, so all my producers, everybody who was speaking in my ear were in Manchester and I was in South Korea. So <laughs> there was a delay, um, like way worse than any Zoom delay. Yeah. <laughs> it was like three, three to four seconds, I think, from when they spoke to when I heard them which is quite a long time in TV world TV of, yeah. you know, me sort of, if you sit and stare at a camera for four seconds and say nothing, you look a bit weird. So <laughs> uh, there was loads of challenges like that. And then the sport itself, I mean, it was my first ever multi-sport event. Um, so you can't just prep for a 90-minute game of football. You're prepping for a day where you might do 12 different events. Yep. Um, across that day I'm not commentating on them but I have to inform people of what the events are who to look out for um, and then quite often chat to people off the back of them whether it was a guest in the studio or somebody who was at the event so you had to um, it was yeah it just managing that workload and trying yeah. to find a system I've done it before took me probably the first week um, to get kind of into a sort of rhythm of of being able to to manage all of that and then it gets easier as well because the heats are done so you start to know the you know you start to start okay. to get the events and stuff and um, because it's hard like I mean when when do you really see winter sports on a tv you know across across a year yeah. normally you know you as much as I'm involved in sport a winter olympics for me is still once every four years like everyone else so you know it's um so that was yeah hugely challenging but um, yeah, taught, I learned a lot. I learned a lot that, that couple of weeks I was out there. The one I was alluding to was obviously Scotland in the playoff final. Scotland in the playoff final? I mean, that was just, oh man, yeah. That, <laughs> see, that one is different because I wasn't there. I think I was in a studio in London. Yeah. That was, oh, what a night. Yeah, that was incredible. And to, do, to be doing that game as well with two guys who I've grown up watching and two absolute legends of Scottish football. I love as well working with both um, James McFadden and Darren Fletcher. I love working with them because they're so positive yeah. about our game. And they just they just love football and they love Scotland winning. And they, 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 they there's no negativity. Even when Scotland have played poorly with those two, they'll find yeah. positives. And I like that because we're very negative and Scotland about our our football and our national team and a lot of things really but when it comes to sport our national team gets gets a lot of a lot of stick and 
yeah, to be able to have been positive about them throughout that campaign for most of that campaign and then that big night, yeah. And that's kind of what I mean as well about the, the job that, that you do. You or anyone in broadcasting or sort of writing the first page of history in sport, you'll, you'll be able to look back. I'm sure you've done it many times, but in 5, 10, 15 years, those moments when you were actually calling the ball and actually presenting the show and you could see the reaction of, I don't know how many views David Marshall's reactions had, you know, James McFadden and Darren Fletcher in the studio celebrating. To be at the heart of all that must be very special. Yeah, it is. And it's, I think it's what, it makes everything worthwhile when, you know, I mean, I love every game of football I do. Like, I love yeah. going to every game. But like I said before, there's a lot of, of the job that's quite hard and quite like a lot of it's quite lonely. You know, you spend a lot of time traveling in yeah. hotels by yourself. And, you know, there are times where I'll be away for three, four, five days. And I'm other than when I'm actually at my job, I'm I'm just on my own. So yeah. a lot of that side of it that is not as fun. Um, but then you get to the the games and I just love watching sport and yeah. football. Or, whatever it might be but then when you get those moments um ride a cup in Paris to to see all of that unfortunately I was walking around in a with my leg in plaster so I didn't quite get to experience it quite as much as I normally have but yeah just big moments in sport that you see Solheim Cup at Glen Eagles that was another incredible one um watching Suzanne Peterson sink that putt and and that was an unlikely when Europeans were not expected yeah. to win. We'd gone to the 17th green to interview the USA after it looked like they were going to win it in 17. And then suddenly we're going down 18 and it's a putt to win the Solheim Cup. And those moments are just, yeah, magical, absolutely magical. And it's what it's what you do it for. It's absolutely what you do it for. And yeah, sometimes you get some special ones. And yeah, and this, this summer hopefully will be a, another special one for Scotland. Fingers crossed. And for anyone listening, uh, and hopefully many people do, um, boy, girl, whatever, what advice would you give to anyone who is looking to sort of forge the same path that you did and, and kind of try and find a way into the media world and the, the world of sport? Yeah, I think just some of the things I've said, just believe in yourself. If it's what, if it's what you're passionate about, if you have that desire inside of you, then completely 100% go for it, but you have to give it 100%. You have to take every opportunity, even if it's something that you don't want to do. You can't be, not that you can't be picky, but it's beneficial to learn more about the industry than, than the one side that you want to pursue and take every opportunity. And when you get an opportunity, make yourself known, make yourself, make your personality come out, make your passion come out and, make sure that people remember your name and yeah. who you are and don't go in and do a work experience job or get an opportunity and then not follow it up. Go in there, make yourself indispensable, make sure people remember you, follow it up, ask for um, feedback, ask for advice um, and eventually something will, hopefully some door will, will open and somebody will give you an opportunity and when you get that opportunity again, just make just go in with an open mind and and learn 
And you actually never know. Some people say, oh, I want to do this. And they go in and realize that actually they much prefer doing something else. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's a brilliant industry to be part of. And I've, some of my greatest friends are people that I've worked with and traveled with and, um, yeah, been part of amazing teams with. And it's, yeah, it is a great, it's a great job. And I am very, very fortunate to, to be doing what I do. Well, that's a great place to leave it. Ellie, thank you so much for your time. Uh, I really appreciate you taking uh, the opportunity to come on and have a chat with me. No problem. Thank you for having me. It's good to chat.